Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. On this week's show, we're looking at the UK banks and some of the biggest issues facing the sector in what are still uncertain economic and political times. In particular, we'll be looking at the government's Future of Banking Commission and whether breaking up the big groups, as some politicians have demanded, is still feasible as banks, including HSBC and Barclays, suggest they may leave the UK rather than split themselves up. We'll also be looking at lending and the war of words between SMEs who say they're being starved of credit and the banks who say they're open for business for creditworthy customers. Just last week, Britain's Federation of Small Businesses reported that nearly 400 of its members are collapsing every week. And lastly, we'll be looking at pay and bonus reform. We'll be asking whether firms have taken the national and international guidelines for reform seriously, or whether momentum is stalling absent broader regulatory consensus. And to answer all these questions and more, we're delighted this week to welcome Angela Knight, the CEO of the British Bankers Association. And we also have the FT's banking editor, Patrick Jenkins. Let's just turn to the first topic, um, breaking up the big groups. Last week, we had HSBC again hinting that they may leave the UK altogether should the commission recommend that big groups be broken up. Angela, I'm very keen to get your thoughts on this and how seriously we should be taking these threats. Well, I think we should take everything seriously, actually, and not least the fact that the UK is standing out and looking now quite strange internationally. We've got so many banks operating in the UK from right around the world. We are a global centre. And so one of the most important things that all banks are saying is, yes, let's operate, let's change, let's uh, do whatever needs to be done on an international agenda and an international uh, agreements. And for the UK to be going alone with a banking commission, which is constantly talked about on the from the uh, perspective of breaking up big banks is making us look an unattractive proposition. It's not making us look thought leader. It's making us look just, you know, out on a limb. And it's actually quite difficult to see what is the object of that proposition anyway. If it's because of the banking crisis that's taken place around the world. Well, it has not been the universal banks that have been the major ones that have caused difficulty. It's been those that were so-called narrow banks tended to be very much savings and loans. Secondly, it is addressing banks where they didn't have the difficulties anyway, which again doesn't look right. So we believe that what does need to be done is, as I say, apart from the obvious internationality piece, is there are questions about how you control risk. There are questions about governance. There are issues about uh, the sorts of activities and how one looks at those activities that do warrant further investigation. And that is something that regulators and others are doing, but we believe that's the way to go. Patrick, I know you've been having conversations last week and, and, and will be this week with senior executives about their thoughts on this. What do you see, again, as, as how credible these hints are right now? I think they probably are pretty credible, especially for an institution like HSBC, which is anchored in many ways business-wise and in terms of its chief executive now in Hong Kong. To shift headquarters nominally to, to another jurisdiction like that 
I suspect, is not a huge stretch. So it's, it is really something that the UK government would have to take seriously, I think. And I really question whether actually they would go that far, because even if the Commission were to consider this issue, were to conclude that breakups were desirable, whether the government would then act on that is, is another question, because the what we've seen this government do, actually, over, over the few months that it's been in power, is the reverse in terms of seeking to get back those FTSE 100 companies that, under the previous Labour government, moved abroad. Because the minute that you've allowed something to come up with that conclusion, then it sits there as there will always be a question mark. And a lot of this is about messages, it's about confidence, and it's about where do I, if I'm running a bank going to put my my next investment where I'm going to put my next uh, uh, employment uh, centre and the whole of what is coming out of the UK should be stay here undertake your international business from here we're open for business but some of these uh, messages such as the, the banking commission the very fact that it's there is not giving that open door message it's, it's leaving everyone with a question mark in their mind on what is it that the UK really is going to do? What is the UK's USP for banking? Which is why some people are expecting that the Commission may have its remit or may itself decide to, to narrow its remit and move it away from the whole idea of breaking up banks and maybe focus more on the the retail competition, the retail competition like issue, which yeah. is arguably less yeah. uh, sensationalist. Yes, but. and, and I, I, it's still uncomfortable, but I quite agree with you that that would be a better place for it to go. Well, let's move on to another hugely politically sensitive topic, which is obviously small business mm-hmm. lending. We've talked a lot and have written a lot about the gap that exists between Banks who say we're open for business, we're granting 85 to 90 percent of the loan applications that come in. You don't want us letting to customers who aren't credit worthy. And on the other side, more anecdotally, of course, difficult to track, but small to medium sized businesses who say they can't get credit. Where do you come out on this issue in terms of what we're hearing on both sides of this debate, which for us seems very difficult to match up? It is difficult to match up. There's there's good statistics and tracking on the supply side, you know, the availability of finance. And there's a, the commentary on the demand side tends to be, you know, from the businesses themselves, tends to be a bit more subjective rather than objective. Um, so there is a need to try and get a much better analysis in this area. And we accept that and we're trying to get that uh, underway. I can give you some numbers which kind of start to perhaps shine a bit of light in, into this area. There's around 4 million businesses in the UK. Well, if we're granting 85 90% of uh, requests for credit, so that's 10 15% that you're saying no to, at any one time there's only about a third that are asking for credit. If you work those numbers down, you've still got, what, 100 150,000 where we're saying no to. So that is going to cause a lot of noise. And because the answer to I've got a business problem is not necessarily borrow more money. It's also things like cut costs and sometimes the hardest story of all, which says your customers have just gone away. There is a grey area, I'm sure, where the judgment of the banks is different to the judgment of the borrower. You know, the true judgment as one sort of looks to see what the real stories are uh, underneath. And we're trying to see if we can't find better ways with those organisations that represent the business community of getting to the difficult areas, getting early and giving them some better sort of help. We published at the time of the budget um, a series of uh, promises of what we will do 
in that area. So if, for example, a business we are saying, a bank is saying no to a request for credit, then, you know, they've, they've, they can do another check and balance inside that bank and we won't just let them go. They can go off to, you know, somewhere else to get some help, you know, Business Link or, or whatever. And, and some of that is undoubtedly coming through. But pricing is is difficult. And the, the, the rules mean that uh, an, an overdraft is now much more expensive than it was. And some of this, the banks aren't lending, is a bit, is more in the, the fact that an overdraft is more expensive and the rules mean that, you know, something that is unsecured lending is now much more expensive. And and getting to businesses a bit earlier and a bit better so they understand that the pricing has seriously changed and they can themselves price it into, you know, whether it's the services or goods they're selling is important. So, you know, it, it is like everything, I'm afraid, a complicated story. And whilst it lends it to a simple soundbite of, yes, we're lending, no, you're not. I mean, that's for pantomimes. It's getting into the middle of the difficult grey areas. Patrick, how do you think this is affecting particular RBS and Lloyds um, in terms of the particular political pressure they're on? I think reputationally they're in the most difficult place because they've, they've obviously got the, sh- the government as a substantial shareholder in both cases. So they're under severe pressure. They've got nominal targets that they have to meet in terms of the, their lending requirements. And yet, on the other side, they have to, you know, try and satisfy the requirements on the expectations of commercial shareholders as well. So it is a really difficult tightrope for them to be walking. And it'll, you know, only time will tell to what extent any lending that they shouldn't be doing uh, and are only doing to to meet targets actually backfires. I think so far they've actually managed to, you know, uh, steer clear of lending where they shouldn't. But it depends. I guess, to, to what extent that, that political pressure is stepped up over the months ahead. What distorts the numbers as well is that businesses, just as with individuals, are paying back their loans like no tomorrow. And so apart from saying you're not allowed to pay back your loan, you know, there's not a lot that we can do about the net lending figure. Well, at least the government has shifted the targets yes, to well, gross lending now, which I guess... Well, it has, which extent. makes a lot more sense mm. uh, if you are going to have a target... But it's about lending to the the right prospects because otherwise you're just going to throw away people's savings on the wrong targets. Mm -hmm. And again, if we go back to the day of the budget and the lending promises that we made on that day, we also gave the amount of money that was available, that had been made available but had not been uh, drawn down. And I should have brought the number with me and apologise. It was well over a billion, you know, and this was advanced but not drawn down money. I think what we should be looking at is not today, but we need to look at the point at which recovery really starts to gain ground and how does a combination of the very imperfectly operating wholesale market uh, and the new Basel rules impact the supply of finance and the price of finance into that recovery. Just one thing to pick mm. up on. that you yeah. We were talking about the targets that um, the state-owned banks have had to sign up to. Do you believe that other banks will sign up, albeit behind closed doors, to, to agreements as well. It, we, we hear different noises from different banks on whether they're prepared to do that. Well, each bank would have to make their own decision. From the BBA perspective, we don't see targets as being anything other than a number. The What is important is that there is a supply of finance to businesses that have got the right sort of business plan in place. Angela, I just want to pick your brains on one last topic, which has been in the news again last week with the decision of Credit Suisse in the UK to award a sort of one-off mid-year bonus to about yeah. 400 of its UK bankers. 
And this issue of repay and, and reform, and, and I hear a lot from my contacts that we've gotten to the position in the UK where banks feel like they've almost gone as far as they can. We've had the rules come in here faster and stricter in many cases than we have seen in the US and certainly in Asia and, and places like Switzerland. And that they feel like sort of gone out farther than a lot of their competitors have um, for the UK also with the bonus tax last year, and that they're kind of now want to be in a wait-and-see position and see what we're going to see out of the U.S. Is it still the BBA's position that U.K. banks are way out in front of everyone else in terms of pay reform and bonus reform, and that we need to see other jurisdictions catching up? Well, the BBA position is actually what the facts are telling us, and that is that the U.K. has not only gone ahead, but it has in the whole question, whole area of remuneration reform. But it has done it uh, in a more strict fashion than anywhere else. We were, of course, the only one who implemented the Financial Stability Board recommendations for 2009. Nobody else did in full. We did it. And now we have put remuneration into regulation in a way that I'm yet to find other countries. We've got an analysis that uh, has not just been done by us, but it's been done by other organizations and international federations, which shows that that that's the case. So again, we've got to make a decision here in the UK. Are we an international business or not? Because if you're an international business, it's international standards of which pay rates are one. And if you decide that you're not going to be an international business, then you can take domestic decisions, which are very different. If we let our international business go. On the back of that goes tens of thousands of jobs, goes billions of pounds in tax revenue. And I think it would be very great pity. If, In fact, I would go further than that. I'd say it was wrong if we let it let that happen because we'd then be importers of wholesale financial services for, you know, UK corporates. We would not be able to uh, do the business that we're doing now. And whilst we accept entirely just how emotive pay is, I think now is the time for all our authorities to actually explain very clearly, very carefully, why it is that an international business has an international pay rate, after all, the majority of businesses sitting in a different place of remuneration, and just how strong the UK has been. And I sometimes feel that I'm a bit of a lone voice on that, though I do accept around this table, you've helped, you've helped. <laughs> Just to play devil's advocate for a yeah. moment, isn't it the case that you know pay had got out of control pre-crisis and that for all the uh, the crying wolf that we've heard from many institutions across the city about the reform process of the last couple of years in the UK, actually we haven't seen the, the huge exodus of people that some have, have predicted. That There's very little evidence, if any, to suggest that you know, the City of London has suffered. Well, I agree with you about crying wolf. I don't think that that's helpful at all. Um, that doesn't mean that it now is not true. And I think we have to look at today, which is time has passed. It's been possible to see what other countries have done or, or not done. Uh, we had a bank payroll tax at Christmas, which many of the international banks spread across their, their workforces. Some took solely in the UK. And you will know that there's large numbers who of individuals who are seeking to shift not from the bank that they're working from, but to work for the same bank, but from another location. Have we actually seen that you know, happen in practice yet, that, that banks are allowing people or helping people shift abroad? Evidence is building quite strongly in that area. 
This next year, 18 months, is therefore critical. Uh, either we keep the business or we don't keep the business. And you're not suddenly going to notice a huge difference necessarily because it's still be the same building. The question is, did the next investment come here or did they put it into another location? I guess just a final question on that point is, do you think your members are ready to take the political and public heat this next year when we're likely to see very strong results? Well, you, you may well see quite some variation. I say again, we've got, what, 60 nationalities sitting around our table. And most countries, they, they, don't, see, they don't see the issue in the same way as we do in the UK. So if you're headquartered in a country which doesn't see that it in the same way, doesn't consider that this is a particular problem, you know, you're going to do what you do for your bank, aren't you? And we will get caught up, or the subsidiary or whatever will get caught up in it in the UK. So it will be very different. One interesting development that's been in the US, which arguably goes further than the admittedly front-running stance in the UK for the most part, was this idea of a disparity between the highest earner in an organisation and the average having to be published. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that's in any way a desirable way to go, to to try and arguably it's it's a way to manage the public relations issue of chief executives, for example, being out of kilter. It's quite easy to be out of kilter with the public. The <laughs> yeah. It's whether you're out of kilter in uh, actually the roles and responsibilities. I suppose, I mean, I don't know what, what will happen as a result in the US. I mean, the US normally defaults to making money in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. So we'll, we'll just have to wait, wait and see. If, though, we make a, a situation such that it really is a very unattractive thing to do, to be the chief executive of a complex financial company, then we won't get the talent that we need. Now, let's get the balance right. Let's get off the, if we possibly can, the, you know, the, the popular politics of this and into some straightforward common sense areas of looking at pay. Our members are well aware that they've got to take some of that action themselves. Well, these are all issues we'll be looking at this week. Um, I know Patrick's going to be specifically looking at Banks looking to locate headquarters elsewhere. And Angela, we'd very much like to thank you for coming in. Patrick, again, as always, thanks for joining. And that's it for us this week. We'll be around next week again for our next edition of Banking Weekly. And to note that Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.